going to be in the book of Daniel this evening, in the book of Daniel tonight, Daniel chapter 2, and there's a big sigh of relief, not Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2, and we finally are moving on here tonight, and uh, once you find your place, go ahead and stand out of respect for God's word, Daniel chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and of course this is after Daniel and uh, his friends have stood before the king, and the, Lord, and the, the king found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers and sorcerers. And, uh, and so here they are. Uh, life seems like it's going to move along and be normal, um, except life for Daniel was never very normal. And uh, we'll see what happens here. Daniel chapter 2, it says in verse 1, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me, if ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof. Ye shall be cut in pieces, and your house shall be made a dunghill. Have a good day, okay? So, I mean, just out of the blue, right? But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of my gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things as at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
Boy, what a great, what an incredible story uh, from the life of Daniel. Love this story. I'm thankful for it. It gets, it, it's, an, uh, it's an underrated story um, in Daniel's life. You know, the, you've got the, the, the Daniel stood with purpose. You've got the lions. Dan, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and the fiery furnace. But man, this one, it really is a great story. We'll probably be here in this passage a couple times. But I'd like to just talk to you tonight, preach this evening this thought, no help on earth. There is no help on earth. That's what's said. There's no man on earth. But I just want to remind you there is a God in heaven. And I'm thankful for that truth. Uh, let's pray and ask God to bless us. Lord, we need you. Pray that you bless the reading of your word. Thank you so much for it. And that you'd meet with us tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A couple things before we get started. Good to have uh, Anna's dad here with us tonight. I know we've been praying for you quite a bit uh, the last few months, and, uh, and God's worked it out for them to come to South Dakota, everyone's dream destination, and uh, yeah, come from Georgia, you know, I'm sure it'll be, there'll be an adjustment. We're glad you're here, glad you're up and about, and uh, looking forward to ministering to that family. Also want to mention, uh, just be in prayer for the Winkler family, um, and I know Brother Ron uh, was here on Sunday and his dad, with his dad passing away, and and I just pray for God's grace in their life. I know that's, that's got to be tough, even if, it's, even if he's been sick or if it's somewhat expected on some level. You're never really prepared for that. So be pray, prepared for the Winklers and, and Sarah as well. We sure are praying for you and for God's grace in your family's life. I failed to mention that during the prayer time. Um, I, I don't know if there's ever been a, a time maybe in, in, in world history, maybe even, that more help has been available for any problem you can think of. I mean, think about it. Uh, you, can look around, you can basically look anywhere and there's someone that is, that is meeting a need, a specific need. Uh, if you've got health problems, you can go to a doctor. In Sioux Falls, you can find a clinic on every corner. I mean, they are everywhere. If you need, you need your car washed, there's one of those on every corner as well. If you need a car real, uh, alignment, there are potholes everywhere as well. So... No, everywhere you look, there, there is an answer to your problem. There, if you've got a car problem, you, you can go to a mechanic. If you've got a back problem, you can go see a chiropractor. If you've got money problems, you can see a financial expert. If, you've, uh, if you have home repairs that need to be made, uh, you can find a list of however many handymen uh, online. And, or, or if you've got marriage issues, you can go see a counselor. Whatever it is, there's someone that likely is in business specifically to meet that one, that one very specific need. There's a solution for everything these days. Any issue you have, there's someone claiming to have the answer you need. We've never had more resources at our disposal, but I also would say it also seems as if, as if we've never had more problems keeping us up at night. So we have more solutions to all of our problems than we've ever had, but we also seem to have more people that are full of anxiety, full of fear, worried, fretting. Technology was supposed to make things easier. You look, you look at commercials from the 50s and, and they talk about how our work weeks would be just a couple of days or a few hours a day and that we'd have less stress, less pressure. We'd be on vacation most of the time. There's less to worry about with more technology. But the more stuff there is, it seems like the more worry there seems to be. Nebuchadnezzar had every resource imaginable at his fingertips, but even he, as the most powerful man in the world at the time, he had problems that kept him awake at night. 
And we see this in verses 1 through 3. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Uh, it's, so when Nebuchadnezzar was having one of those nights that, that maybe you have sometimes. I know I've had them at times where you've got something on your mind and, and you just cannot get to sleep and it keeps you up. You've been there. He's tossing. He's turning. He's having these weird dreams. And, and before you think, but he's the king. What does he truly have to worry about? But William Shakespeare, I believe, is the one that said, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. It's interesting that the common man often dreams about having more and, and having power and having wealth and influence, but it's very often the common man that sleeps like a baby, while the powerful man, the rich, are the ones that find no rest. Seems as if pressure rises as influence rises, and all too often it's those in positions of of power that can't sleep. It's those with everything they ever wanted that lie awake trying to resolve problems and cr crunching numbers and writing emails and casting vision and trying to figure out how to stay on, top, on the top of their field. No dollar amount ever calmed a troubled soul. Nor did power. Nor did fame. The mightiest man in the world was still a man and he couldn't sleep. And we find out this dream, it's likely recurring because it said that he dreamed dreams. It wasn't just one dream. So it implies that he had multiple dreams about the same thing. How many of you ever gone through a time in your life where you had a recurring nightmare? Okay, I think many of us have. It's okay to admit it. When I was a, a kid, I had a nightmare. I don't know where I was. I was in some warehouse or factory. It was at night and the boogeyman was chasing me and I could never find a door to get out. When my wife was little... Um, she used to have a recurring nightmare about a giant Raggedy Ann doll that was coming after her. That's actually pretty terrifying, if you admit it. I mean, clowns, how many of you like, are, are, are afraid of clowns? Okay, Clowns are creepy. Sorry, they just are. I mean, you have a recurring nightmare. If you're a parent, you have a recurring nightmare about your, your children. I mean, you might have the recurring nightmare of, of going to school. I used to have this one too and realizing you don't have pants on. Ever happened to anybody else? I, I mean, I know that's, okay. Yeah, did it really happen to your brother Roger, or was it just a dream? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> said, hey, anybody happen to answer? He raised his hand. Is it really happened? He's like, yes, or was it a dream? No. I mean, no. It was, it was a dream. Okay, the dream happened. Okay, got it. Yeah. I mean, those are, that's scary. You have a recurring dream. Well, this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, has a recurring dream. He says he dreamed dreams, and, and obviously it's something that, that is the same dream over and over, recurring. He's having this dream, and, and obviously he doesn't know what it means. It's something foreboding, though. He knows that it doesn't mean something positive, and, and we'll find out later, probably next time, or in the next couple times, what the dream was. But his spirit is troubled, and, and he, in his sleep, it says, break from him, which means that he couldn't go back to sleep. And maybe you're like that. If you, you're good if you're just asleep, but if you wake up, you just can't go back to sleep. And that's how some of us can be. There are a few things worse for us than insomnia. And, and I've dealt with it last year. Mine was a physical issue. I just wasn't breathing right. And, and I'm thankful that I was able to work through it. But let me just mention to you, if you're not sleeping, then you have to make some changes in your life to ensure that you can. And, and I mean, do, do something about it because the long-term health impacts of insomnia are dangerous for us. And I want to encourage you just to take care of it, do whatever it takes. 
um, you know, ethically or before the Lord, make sure that, that, you know, you're doing the right things, but do something to fix that. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, the richest man on earth, the most powerful man on earth, and he can't sleep. So he calls the people that are supposed to help him, the ones that are supposed to have the answers. He calls his, his uh, magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers, the Chaldeans, um, and he's, he calls them to show them him, show him their dream and interpret it. And they come, they stand before him, and the king says, I've dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. So he has these pagan spiritual advisors, and, and he's confident they can help him, and they're supposed to have some connection with the gods, and they had studied astrology, they had... They had dream manuals, from what I understand. If anybody could help the king, these guys should be able to help them, to help him. So he, he, tells them the, he tells them that I want you not just to tell me the interpretation of the dream, I want you to tell me the dream as well. Now, this they were not expecting. The, the Chaldeans were the elite class of, of these pagan priests, and it says in verse 4, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And this is interesting, just a side note here, um, that because of the language of Daniel then, it, it, it shifts from Hebrew in the first, couple, first chapter, and then it, it's in Aramaic, the original, why I mean that the original was in Hebrew, and then it shifts to Aramaic, and then it shifts back to Hebrew for the last few chapters of the book. Aramaic was the language that was spoken in political or business settings in that day, and it's possible that this shift takes place because the next few chapters are not dealing with Israel. They're dealing with world powers. They're dealing with, with, with prophecy as it relates to this kingdom. And then the last part of Daniel goes back to Hebrew. And, and you say, well, why is that significant? Why does that matter? We're reading it in English. And I understand that. It's not significant except that the language shift might point to Daniel's target audience. And that uh, anytime you can understand the context of a passage, who the target audience is, that will help you immensely in your Bible interpretation. Meaning that, that you need to understand when you read your Bible, it's good hermeneutics um, to, to know who the passage was written to, who the book was written to. That's why when we, we did the book of Genesis, I was, I was very clear often to say it was written to the children of Israel as they came out of the promised land, they're getting ready to go in, sorry, they came out of Egypt getting ready to go in the promised land. And it's good to remember those things as your good Bible readers remember that. So the Chaldeans, they come back and they say, if you tell us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. And these guys were very confident that if you just tell us the dream, we can give you what it means. They're like those psychics that that play the crowd and they, they get a few details from somebody. Then they come up with a generalized story um, that could really apply to everybody in the crowd. You know, um, as somebody in here lost a pet that begins with the name, with the letter T. And there's some person in the back 20 years ago lost their dog. And, you know, Thomas, I don't even know where that name came from. It just was the first thing popped in my head. Thomas the dog, very common dog name. It's like, boy, he's really speaking to me. No, that's how random it is. These guys are like that. You know, it's not real. They're, they're, the king's not buying it either, by the way. He wanted the dream and the interpretation. And he says in verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. 
If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. And when he says the thing is gone from me, uh, some people believe that that means he forgot his dream. I don't believe it means he forgot the dream. I, I believe it actually means he says, I've made up my mind. This, this is gone from me. I've already said what I'm going to say. Here's the thing. This is not up for debate. I want the dream and the interpretation. And here's why I don't think he forgot the dream. Because I'm not sure why he'd be troubled by a dream that he forgot. Not only that, down in verse 7, they're asking him again to tell, him, tell them the dream. If he has forgotten the dream, they wouldn't be asking him to tell them again. I believe, in my, in my opinion, that he's testing them. Because if they, I, I wonder if he's seen through their lies. And he knows if they can tell me the dream, then I can actually trust their interpretations. If they can't tell me the dream, I'm not going to trust their interpretation. If they don't have the answers, they're not going to like the outcome. And he tells them very clearly, if you can't give me the answers, I'm going to kill all of you. If you do have the answers, you're going to enjoy the rewards. But, but in verse 7, again, they say, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king, the king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. What he's, what he's saying here is you're just stalling. You're killing time. You're, you're trying to you know, give, let me give you more time and maybe I'll give in. Maybe I'll tell you the dream. It's not going to work. I'm not going to change my mind. This has already gone from me. I've already made this decree. If you can't tell me the dream, you're all dead men. And by the way... The reason that matters is because there were likely hundreds of wise men. There were likely hundreds of these that were his wise men, his astrologers, his magicians, his sorcerers. And before we wonder why it matters, Daniel and his friends were considered part of the wise men group. So this isn't just going to impact those that were from Babylon. No, this is going to impact a bunch of teenagers... That a bunch of Jewish teenagers that were in the land and had, and had started to assimilate and learn the language and learn about Babylon, they were going to die too. So now suddenly we have real interest in the story because this now impacts the, the key character in this book. These wise men, though, I want to notice that they make maybe the wisest thing they've ever said. They say it right here. There's wisdom and I know it's not accident, and it's not on purpose, it's an accident, but I taught my kids that classic important parable this week, um, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. You know, you just stumble across truth, and that's what happens, they stumble across truth here, and it says in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. That's absolutely true. They're right that it's, there's not anybody on earth that can help him. They, 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 they say, therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things that any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I mean, right now they're getting very close to truth. There's nobody on earth that can help you. The only one that could help you is somebody that doesn't live in this realm and he's not in the flesh. And to that I say, absolutely, you're right. Amen. I, I imagine them whining like, oh, king, there's not a man on earth that can do this, that can help you. You know what they're saying? We are limited. We don't have the answers to questions like this. 
There's no one on earth that can do this. It's going to take someone from outside this realm. Only gods from a different realm can do this kind of stuff. And for some reason, we're getting a busy signal. They're not answering. And that's the wisest thing these men ever said. And it's true. They were right. There is no one on earth that can answer life's toughest questions. There's no man, no person on earth that can help us with the most significant things. And these folks, listen, these men, they knew something to be true that sometimes we don't believe. And we might say we believe it, but we don't act like we believe it, that some problems really are beyond earthly help. Pagan wise men knew that. So why do we as God's people at times seek the answers to our problems on earth instead of getting our answers from heaven? When we have a health need, we go to a doctor and never seek the great physician. And listen, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm saying if we are God's people, why leave him out of the process? Get him involved in the process. Get him engaged in the process. Allow, allow him to lead you to which doctor you go to. Allow him to tell you the steps that you're going to take. Get him involved. Why would we leave him out? When we have a problem at work, we fret about it or we manipulate the circumstances instead of seeking God's help and grace and trusting that he can change a heart. Why leave him out of the process? Uh, when we have a financial need, we start a GoFundMe instead of saying, God help me. You know, and that's the first thought is GoFundMe. We need to raise some money. Well, maybe it could be that you have a need that God would answer if you would just go to him first. You know, we try to live life in our strength instead of waking up every day and telling the Lord, I can't and I need you. See, here's the issue is these pagans believe something that sometimes we don't. We can't solve every problem. We don't have the wisdom to deal with life situations in our own strength. We need to get back into the habit of making our first option in a time of need to seek the Lord instead of trying to work it out on our own and telling our friends about it or like we do many times, spiraling into worry and despair or dread because we don't know how it's going to turn out. Listen, there is no help on earth. There is no one on earth that can answer life's toughest questions. The answers aren't on earth, but the truth doesn't end there. See, earth isn't the only realm to turn to. There's a God in heaven who can easily handle life's toughest questions. That's what we learn from David here. While everyone else was saying, there's no help on earth, there's no help on earth, David says, yeah, but or Daniel says, yeah, but I know somebody that can't help. Look at verse 12. It says, For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. The decrees issued Daniel and his friends. They are literally sentenced to death. This is no small thing. Uh, this, you know, this is a, a big issue. And Daniel, rather than fretting and rather than just first stop Facebook, no... No, he says, I'm going I'm to work this out. I'm going to work through this. And I'm going to talk next time about not trusting our first emotions. Because our first emotions are rarely correct. And so here's Daniel. And he goes to the, to, first to Arioch, the chief executioner. And Arioch, it just sounds like an executioner name, by the way, Arioch. You know, they, he goes to Arioch and, and he obviously has a relationship with Arioch. He's respected enough to go to Arioch and say, what's going on? He doesn't panic. He doesn't lose hope. He seeks to understand. 
It is a great habit to not, don't just lose hope at the first sign of a problem. Use wisdom to understand it. So he goes to Arioch and he asks what's going on. Arioch tells him what's happening. Then he takes it a step further and he literally himself personally goes to the king in verse 16. Look at it. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Isn't it interesting? Daniel asked for the same thing all the magicians and astrologers asked for. But they didn't get it, and Daniel did. You know why? Because he had a track record. He had proven himself already. And the king literally gives him mercy and allows Daniel to seek an answer because I believe he can see through the fake seers, and he's looking at Daniel and knows there's something real about him. So the best use of Daniel's time, though, you know what? Some people might would have just said, you know, the best use of your time, Daniel, is, is go find a way out of Babylon. You and your friends... You know, find, find some way to get out of the city. And just get out, just run away, save yourselves. And he could have. I mean, I imagine he had some freedom at this point. He probably could have done something like that. But it's not what he does. No, the best use of Daniel's time is, is very obvious in that he goes to the Lord. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the things known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven. Concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Sometimes we think the best use of our time is to come up with solutions. But we'd save ourselves so much anxiety and pressure if we were acknowledged from the start that some problems are too big for me. And the best use of my time is spent before the Lord of heaven on my knees. And this is literally a life and death situation. There's no other option. The only other solution is heaven. There's no help on earth. And this is, there is a time to act. I know. There are times to act. Don't misunderstand. But there are also times to pray. And I would submit to you that we are usually heavy on the action part and light on the prayer part. And these young men, they were in their mid-teens. They gathered and they had a prayer meeting and God answered and, and he blessed in verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God reveals it. And I know it's not always this simple. So I, don't, don't just take my, my message tonight to say, well, if I just do this, God will reveal the answers to every problem in a night vision and I'll be able to move forward. I'm not saying that at all. But whether or not God answers this quickly and whether or not God answers this clearly, we're still better off seeking his solutions, his solutions than trusting ours. One man said, Daniel understood that a humanly impossible situation can only be solved with a divine intervention. So he sought God's help and waited for God's response. God's work is best seen in humanly impossible predicaments. You know, when there's no answer to the problem that you have, when there's no solution to the, to the issue that you're dealing with, then if, if, if God will answer it and there were, no human, uh, there were no human options, only he can get the glory for that. And when he gets the glory, everyone's better for it. In an impossible situation, it could have only been God. The answer didn't come um, from somebody else. It didn't come through a friend. It didn't come through a phone call. It came from the only one that it could have. And that is God and friend when it can only be him. He gets the glory that he deserves. And rather than figure out a solution and leave him out of the process, involve him so you have his answers and he gets the glory. It's better all around. There's three important takeaways tonight. 
First is human power is unable to answer life's biggest problems. Human power is unable to answer life's biggest problems. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, the mightiest man on earth, and he was helpless to understand his own dream. Money and power, worldly success, all these things, they may gain many things, but they provide no answers spiritually. And don't assume that the more you have, the easier it gets. To our young people, I'll just remind you, I mean, just because you think that the life to live is to get everything that you can, and that'll make me happy, and that'll take away all my problems. And I, I, I don't know what the percentages would be, but I can imagine that most people that have everything they ever wanted end up really spiritually with very little. And you do better to follow your parents' example and say, whether or not God ever makes me rich, I'm going to put him first and just let him take care of that stuff. I have a heart for our young people that, you know, are, the, the culture really is trying to get them to think, if you don't have money, you don't have anything. If you don't have all your dreams come true, you really don't have anything. most important thing you, do, you could do is live for Jesus Christ. If you rely on money or power, all of us, you rely on money, you rely on power, you rely on strength, you only get what they can provide and they eventually run out. But if you rely on God, you get everything that he can do. And there's no limit to that, folks. So human power is, is incapable, it's unable to answer life's biggest problems. Second, human wisdom can't provide the answers to life's biggest questions. Pagan religions couldn't provide Nebuchadnezzar the answers. They had dream manuals. They, had, they read stars and they couldn't get one dream right. Now listen, God can use the wisdom of other people to help you. He can and he does and I'm thankful for it. But don't assume that man's wisdom is the answer. Don't turn to your friends first and, or doctors or books or a bank or blogs or seminars or, or websites or whatever it is. Can God use those things? Yes, he can. But stop with God first. Go to him first. Let him lead you to the resources that can provide the help. When there's a crisis, we can either elevate a God who helps or fall into a tailspin by looking for help in all the other places. Third, human hearts can only be satisfied with a relationship with God. Human hearts can only be satisfied with a relationship with God. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, and he's proving that the human condition needs something outside of itself for genuine peace. And what a better way for what better way for the world to see Jesus Christ that he's the answer than for his people like us to have the peace and shine it like a light. See, the world may not admit it, but they're searching. Your coworkers may not admit it, but they're searching. Your neighbors may not admit it, but they're searching. And they need to see people who fully trust in God to recognize that there is an answer to be found. And if you search for satisfaction in the wrong resources, you'll only find fear and anxiety and anger and desperation. And on top of all of that, you won't be the light that God wants you to be for the people around you. Because they'll be thinking, why would I want what they have when really their desperation is the same as mine? Now, you want to make a difference in the people around you, then search with all your heart. For a relationship with God. Do whatever it takes to walk with him. Have a relationship with him. That's the only place that you will find true peace. And then you'll have an impact on those around you. And if you'll live as though there is an answer to the big questions through God and his son and the word. You can lead others to that light. So when it comes to answers there is no help on earth. But there is a God in heaven. What question is too big for you right now? 
I mean, what's looming large in your mind? What are you thinking, man, I just don't have a solution to this. I don't know what the help is. I don't know where to turn. Have you truly sought the Lord or have you only leaned on other resources? Have you turned to anxiety instead of the one with answers? I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I know it's such a simple truth tonight, but here it is. There is a God in heaven and he makes himself available. So don't live as if that's not true. There is no help in, on earth, but there is a God in heaven. Would you say that with me? Ready? Here we go. There is no help on earth, but there is a God in heaven. Say it. Go. There is. Okay, all the guys, all the males in the room, beefily say it. Ready? There is. But there is. Okay, ladies, let's hear it. Go. Everyone under 18. Okay, 18 and under. Ready? Go. Okay, everybody over 65. Ready? Go. There is no help on earth, but there is a God in heaven. You know what? That truth is universal. It applies to every age. It applies to every background. It applies to every skin color. It applies to every uh, social status. It applies to every bank account. It applies to every, every person raised in a Christian home or not. It applies to everybody. And if you read Isaiah 57, 15, you know that there, God doesn't, God's not looking for the talented or the influential to help and, and give grace to. No, he seeks those that humble themselves before him. And anybody can do that. So I want to just encourage you today that you can find answers out there. There's all kinds of answers. But there's really only one that can solve every problem. His name is Jesus Christ. And the reason I know he can solve every problem is because if he can save us, which is our biggest issue, then there's nothing that he can't handle in our lives. And if he rose from the dead, there's nothing he can't do. I just want to encourage you tonight. There's a, no help on earth, but there is a God in heaven. Let's stand. We have a verse of invitation. We have an opportunity. Give you an opportunity to respond tonight. I don't know what your problem, what your issue that you're facing is. If it's finances, there's a God in heaven. There's no help on earth, but there's a God in heaven. If it's an addiction, there's no help on earth, but there's a God in heaven. Uh, if it's feeling lonely, there's no help on earth, but there is a God in heaven. If you're at the end of yourself in some situation, there is no help on earth, but there is a God in heaven. And I don't know what you're dealing with tonight, but don't leave God out of the process. I mean, turn to him. He has the answers. If he can save your soul, he can help you with whatever situation you're facing in your life right now. Let's pray and give God an opportunity to work. Lord, we need you that you'd speak to us through your word tonight. Thank you for the Holy Spirit illuminating this truth for us. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen.